we are starting, well, last week we started a series called um, Famous Last Words. And in this particular series, we're taking a look at some of the last phrases that Jesus said as he hung there on the cross. And uh, very powerful words. So last week we talked about truth. We st- First of all, let me just say this real quick. Can we give a shout out to Noah Neiman? Uh, took fourth at the state, right, in wrestling? Yeah. Here we go. That was a year ago we did the same thing, right? So uh, we got high aspirations for, for uh, Noah representing E3C, right? <laughs> the weight's on your shoulders. <laughs> But last week we started this series called Famous Last Words, and, and it's, uh, the, we're looking, we're gonna look at the phrases that Jesus spoke, uh, from the cross. And if you remember through, uh, reading that story, if you've read the story through his crucifixion, through, uh, that whole, uh, when he was, um, betrayed and all that, he really didn't say a whole lot. But yet on the cross is when he kind of opened up and we, when we, we, we read about some of the phrases that he said as he hung there. So last week we talked about what is true. We talked about like what you believe, what you believe will dictate what you behave. Uh, the things that you believe are true, the things that you hold, uh, dear to you are the things that's going to, uh, dictate the way you behave. Your behavior is going to be formulated by that. So, it goes to be said that as we look at these phrases as Jesus hung from the cross, they're gonna take, they're gonna give shape to, if we believe they're true, they're gonna give shape to our lives. Today, we're gonna tackle one that's everyone's favorite, called forgiveness, right? And I'm telling you what, man, when I was looking at this and, and spending time in it, it was like, this is a tough one. <laughs> this is good dinner conversation once you leave here, okay? And if you picked a Sunday to come and skip next week, you picked the wrong Sunday to come, right? So, I'm joking. Don't. That's a joke, everybody, okay? Don't. Um, but today we're going to take a look at forgiveness, and, and you can imagine the passage, if you've, if you've read the story, you can imagine the passage we're going to use, but... Um, so in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to look at verses 32 through 33, and then we're going to camp out on uh, verse 34. But uh, what we find is we find Jesus hanging on the cross. He's hanging there between two criminals. And the story or the context or the, the, the verse says that two other men, both criminals, were also let out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Jesus along with criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, before we read verse 34, let's paint the really good picture here. Let's let's really paint this big picture of context, okay? Let's go back to the beginning of time. Let's go back to God creating the world, God creating everything. Back in Genesis chapter 1, He creates all things. Or in the first couple chapters, He creates all things, right? And after He created each thing, He said, and it was good, and it was good. And so He created this paradise, Okay, he created the world, he created the sky and all the animals and, and, and things that inhabited the sky. He created land, he, he made the water separate from the land. He created land and all the animals and even mankind that was going to dwell upon the land. And then he created, you know, with the waters, he created all the animals and things like that that would live in the water. Okay, and then after every thing, every time he created something, he said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then he created paradise for man. We call it the Garden of Eden. And so he creates, he creates paradise and he creates man and woman and he lets them, he places them in this, this Garden of Eden, this paradise. And he says, all of this is yours. Every single thing you can see is yours except for one thing. And so everything was good. Now, if we would take a chronological view of this, like through the scriptures, 
uh, three chapters in, now everything goes to pot, right? So we read about man and woman being tempted. We read about them falling. Uh, we read about them falling in chapter three, falling into sin. Now everything is destroyed. Adam was given the keys, the dominion. Very important doctrine here. Adam was given the keys to the keys to the earth, the meaning that he had dominion over all earth. He literally took that dominion and passed it off to Satan. And now Satan, as you and I know, as now you and I experience, Satan has, uh, you know, seemingly control of all things here, right? One of these days, God's going to come back and he's going to uh, take, he's, he's, you know, from the cross, he's already taken, he's already defeated it, but he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And Satan will be cast into, but uh, will be cast into essentially uh, eternal fire, whatever, however you want to word that. But um, so, so now everything's disrupted. We have sin in the world. Now things, we, we experience things that we should never experience. We experience death. We experience sorrow. We experience grief. We experience cancer and sickness and diseases and all those things that God did not create, but came with sin. And so God created all these things and God was the creator of all things, right? Except for the sin part, you know, uh, Satan brought all that with him. So now, so many years forward, you know, thousands of years, uh, we fast forward to the cross and we have this person by the name of Jesus who walked 30 some years, right? And he lived a sin, sinless, uh, sinless life. The reason why Jesus came was to take on our sins. The reason why Jesus came was to restore all things. The reason why Jesus came is that because of his substitutionary work on the cross, which means every single one of us should have been hanging on that cross. Instead of that, one man took our place, took all mankind's place. The wrath of God that was coming down, Jesus took all of that upon himself. God out of his love, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, uh, so that we could have reconciliation with God. We can now have fellowship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? So, out of His love, God, He sends Jesus to live, uh, that sinless life, which He did, uh, and He was gonna, and He was our substitute on the cross. And so now you have this person who is God, Jesus. He's fully man, He's fully human, or fully, fully God, correct? So it's a dichotomy, it's a paradox that is hard to understand, but we believe that he was fully human, he was fully, he was fully God. And so, um, he, uh, you know, again, lived the perfect life, he did not sin, and then, but, but yet he did, you know, John, the Gospel of John says that he was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and nothing came in existence that he didn't breathe into existence. So we believe that God the Father, um, orchestrated it and Jesus spoke everything into existence. So you're talking God here, okay? Jesus is God, okay? Jesus is God. And He comes in human form to take our sins. And what He experiences is, obviously death and persecution and all that, but as He's hanging on the cross, He experienced blasphemous uh, comments he, they, before he even got to the cross though, they whipped him. They, they, I mean, they whipped him with a, one of the cruelest, uh, torture tools they had. Um, that had, you know, strands of, and at the end of each strand, uh, they had little bits of stone and glass. So when they would hit the body, it would just literally rip flesh, uh, just open gashes in your flesh. Horrible stuff that they're doing to the Son of God that lived a sinless life, right? And so they're doing all these things and then they walk him to the cross and, and they are mocking him about being a king 
and they take and they 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 cast lots, they they gamble for his clothes, they they do they spit on him, they do all these things. Then they take this, they make this crown of thorns uh, to represent a king. You're a king. Well, here's your crown. They create this crown of thorns and jam it on his head, which creates excruciating pain. Uh, by the way, the cross was one of the most torturous executions they could ever man could ever think up of. Okay, essentially, what would happen with the cross? The reason why it was designed is so that a person could live and just live in torture for so long, and eventually you would just suffocate yourself from just from just you would just you would die in agony. Is what it was. It, it was a way to preserve death, but living death in agony. Very hideous, right? And the Romans mastered it, and that was uh, that was the way Jesus. So they put Jesus on the cross, and they do all these things. Okay, all these things they do. To the Son of God. To the one who was going to lay down his life for all. And Jesus hasn't really spoken through this whole mock trial, this whole thing that was a farce to begin with. But then he starts to say his first words. And in verse 34, he says his first words. He says this. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them because they have no clue what they're doing. How many of us, how many of you could do what he did? How many of you could raise your hand and say, I would have done that. I would have taken all that. How many of us sitting in here this morning could say this? When people hurl insults at me, when people say things about me, when people gossip about me, when people say horrible things, when people do this or do that or whatever, when they hurt me, when they just hurt me, I'm so quick to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? And yet, as a Christian, we're instructed, as we're going to get into this, we're instructed to to to, to live that way. To forgive people at that level. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus hung there and He said, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Guys, I don't know how many of you were raised this way, but I remember as a kid, I could, I can't count how many times I heard, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Have you heard that? You know, and I can't imagine, you know, the Bible talks about the, the legion or the, the massive amounts, the multitudes of angels that were, that would have been ready to come and save Jesus. But he hung there. And he took on stuff that he didn't deserve. He lived a sinless life. He took on things that he didn't deserve whatsoever. And yet he hung there for you and I. He hung there and he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. So with that, with those, that phrase, I want to take a look at a couple of things. First of all, I want to take a look at three implications of that. The first one is this. Um, it, it's the sustenance of, of prayer. It's the sustenance of the prayer, okay? And when we look at that, there's a couple things that we see uh, in this particular prayer. And the first one, uh, the sustenance of prayer is number one, is that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. By Him, by the sustenance of this prayer, if we have the next slide, the first sustenance is found is that He fulfilled prophecy. 
This is something that is, if you just stop and think about this and you kind of take a, a, a look at it, a deeper look, when you study scriptures, Isaiah wrote something back so some 400 plus years before Jesus was ever even born that would state this is what's going to happen. And when Jesus came and when he hung on the cross and when he was crucified and when he, when he hung there and he literally said those, that phrase, he was literally fulfilling prophecy. Now when you take a look at his life, and this is the interesting part, because there's people that are, that there's, and we live in this world, people that don't believe in, in the faith, people don't believe in Christianity, they don't believe in that Jesus is the only way, the only way to, you know, John 14, 6, I am the only way to God the Father. They don't believe in these things, they don't believe, you know, that, that Jesus was God. But yet, when you take a critical look at his life, it is very, can we use the word ironic, that he was able, his life was able to fulfill hundreds of prophecies that were written before he was even born. You could, there's no way someone could set out and say, okay, we got a, we got a scam going here, and I think, uh, you know, if this person can be born here, then we'll, we'll let this person kind of fill out these prophecies. There's no way it could happen. It's impossible. Yet, when Jesus' Jesus's life literally fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that was written hundreds of years before he was even born. Isaiah 53, 12. This whole prayer in Isaiah 53, 12 gives demonstration to this. And he says that, the prayer, or Isaiah says this. It says that he, Jesus, poured out his life unto death. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. And then it says, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was written way before Jesus even even lived. And so the whole crucifixion, this is what it was. He was numbered with the transgressors, although he wasn't a transgressor. What is a transgressor? It means someone who's broken the law, someone who's a criminal, someone who's done something wrong that deserves to be that deserves what they're getting. But And he was numbered with them, but he bore the sin of many. And then he made intercession for the transgressors. And so with his prayer, he literally fulfilled this this prophecy that that took place hundreds of years before. Now, let's take a look at the next one. The next one is this. He modeled the importance of prayer. And and when we use the word model here, it's really that is kind of like the understatement of the year. Right. But but it's it's. It was so much more. He modeled and he demonstrated the import. His life modeled and demonstrated the importance of this prayer. Matthew 6, 9, they were asked, how should we pray? And, and, and Jesus says this, this is how you should pray. Our Father. And that's exactly what he did. Our Father. Father in heaven. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You know, and so he, 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 he prays this prayer and his life literally demonstrated this and demonstrated that, that, um, it demonstrated something that you and I need to take note of, if that makes sense. That's such an understatement. I can't put this in words for some reason. It's such an understatement because this is it right here. You had people that were that were defiling him, okay? You had people that were blaspheming you. People were making jokes of him. People that were spitting on him. People that deserved to just be fried. I mean, if that was me hanging there, it would have been like, okay, you're done. Fry, zap, gone, okay? You're done, all right? You're done. But he didn't do that, right? But here's the here's the thing. Think about this for a second. Just think about this. So he dies. He's in the ground. He comes up. He's he's resurrected. He ascends back into heaven. Fifty some days later, we call that Pentecost. Uh, they're in the upper room, and and in the spirit, he told them to wait there, and the spirit of God was going to come and dwell upon them, which is that's exactly what happened. And then listen to this, Peter. Do you remember the whole story when Peter stood up and preached? You remember that story? 
you remember this? Remember when he talked and they said, after he said, you guys are the ones that, you guys are the ones that crucified him. You guys are the ones that crucified him. And they made us, they asked the question. He said, well, what can we do? I mean, they, it's like they came to their senses and it's like, holy cow, we did do this. This was wrong. What can we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, right? And it said that thousands of them at that day repented. Do you think that some of those individuals that repented that day might have been some of the individuals that actually stood at the foot of that cross blaspheming Jesus? And those are the people that Jesus prayed for. Does that make sense? Jesus prayed for those people. They don't know what they're doing. Here's the model. What about people in your life that we need to be praying for? What about those people that in your life you need to be praying for? You may say, you know what? I've been praying for them years and I'm just about ready to give up. Don't give up. Because you don't know if that's going to be the next prayer that's going, that God's going to use and, and it's going to intervene on the, intervene in their lives and they're going to become believers as well. That's what Jesus modeled. Jesus modeled and demonstrated this prayer that we, are, we need to embody to say, hey, we need to pray. And we're going to get into this here in a second too, but we need to pray the same type of prayer. And we don't know where this prayer or when this prayer is going to take root, but we believe that God is going to answer our prayers. Does that make sense? Some of those individuals that might have been at the foot of that cross could have been the same individuals that stood with Peter that day and finally gave their life to Jesus Christ and finally believed this was the Savior. This was the, the, the uh, Son of God. And so he modeled, it not, he not only fulfilled prophecy, but it also modeled the importance uh, and demonstrated uh, 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 prayer in that particular sense. The one other implication I want to share with you is this. Jesus revealed through this whole this whole, uh, these last few words, Jesus revealed man's greatest need, and that was the forgiveness of sin. That's why He came. That's why He came. That's why He came so that we could live. And as He sat with His disciples in Matthew 26, 28, when He had that last Passover, or that last little dinner with His disciples, it says this, He took the wine, He poured it, and He said, this is My blood of the covenant, which will be called, what we kind of refer to as the new covenant, but this is the poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, as He hung there, He revealed man's greatest need, and that was the forgiveness of sins. Now, some of us, we could say, well, you know, sometimes you don't even know, you don't even know maybe what, what we're doing. Sometimes, you know, we, there's times where we hurt other individuals and we don't even know that. But here's the point. The point is, the next point is this, ignorance never excuses, or ignorance never equals innocence. There's going to be times where you and I hurt people. There are going to be times when we say something. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where they brought something back up to like three years later and they said, you, you remember this on this date, on this time, you said this. And you're kind of like, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. I mean, they've got it documented because it hurt them. It hurt them. And you may have never intended to hurt them whatsoever, but the way they heard that and the time they heard that, they took it and, they, and, and, and it hurt them. And they have been carrying this around for so long. And the issue is this. Does that mean you're still innocent? You still said it, right? You still hurt them inadvertently, possibly. Possibly you did it with intention. But it hurt them. And that doesn't mean that just because you're not aware of it, that it doesn't exist. It's real. It absolutely exists. And so this is, this is about, you know, at times when you say, well, I didn't know that I, that I did that. And it's just like the bigger scope is this. He came to forgive sins, whether we say, well, I, I sinned or I didn't sin. The point of it is this. It doesn't matter if you recognize it or not. The point is that we have. 
Paul says we're all fall short of the glory of God. And equal uh, ignorance doesn't equal innocence in this sense. We can hurt people deeply. Some of us have been hurt deeply. Some of us are sitting in here this morning, guys, and we're hurt deeply. Some of you, when we're talking about this right now, and I bet if we if we could take time and just kind of go offline and say, "Can you share? You know, are you hurt?" I bet you there would be. I bet you there'd be more people in here than not that could say, "I'm carrying around a hurt." And I, let me share with you what it is. Some of us got hurt back in grade school. Some of us got hurt by our parents that have passed long ago, and we're still carrying around that hurt because we don't know what to do with it. It's like we can't, we can't get our arms around it. Some of us were hurt this week. Some of us were hurt months ago. Some of us have some really deep-rooted hurt. Some of us sitting in here have hurt other people sitting in here. And we're still carrying that around. It's real. It's real. This sense of forgiveness is absolutely real. And to say, well, I don't remember or, well, that doesn't matter because, because, you know, I, I don't recall or I didn't do that on purpose. The point of it is this. There are, there could be individuals that are carrying hurt around because of something we might have said or have done and we had, we have no recollection, but it's still real to them. And some of us are sitting in here today, like I said, and we're carrying around real hurt deep down inside over some things. And today's the day that we're going to deal with that. Today's the day we're going to come and I pray that your spirit right now would open up because we're talking about things. And, and I get it. I get it. When we get hurt, I understand. I'm human too. And when I was working through this, there was a lot of stuff I'm like, there's no way. I'm consti- I, this is the hardest thing I could ever talk to you about right now. Because there can be hurt down inside of us. And what we want to do, and a lot of times what we do, because it hurts, we start building little walls around it, Right? And we don't want anybody to touch it because that's a volatile area, man. I mean, that is a volatile area. And so we start trying to, I don't know why, but we try to protect it because we, I don't know why we want to keep it in, but we protect it and we build wall and we're not, we don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Just leave it alone. And sometimes what happens is we carry that around. And the problem with all this is if we continue to carry all of this around, instead of producing fruit, like God wants to do in and through our lives, we're not going to produce fruit. We're going to produce bitterness, like like in Hebrews where it talks about when we have that anger or things that deep down inside, it ends up it ends up sprouting a root of bitterness. And some of us will say, "I don't want to talk. I'm not hurt." You ever talked to someone like that? I'm not hurt. Okay, that's cool. What do you do with it? What do we do with it? You know, and even when we talk about it right now, as a human, this is the hardest thing I think we can ever do, and that is to let go and to forgive. What's really interesting, um, in my counseling classes, we had a, we had this, what they called a capstone, and it was a day where you go and you listen to various seminars, and one of the, one of the women uh, that the, the lectured there, a new thing, get this, a new thing in psychology, and this is secular, okay, secular psychology, a new thing in secular psychology is forgiveness. Huh. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Forgiveness. And so we listened. And again, the, I go to Spring Arbor, so it's taught with a Christian perspective. So, so it's, it's 
it's just kind of interesting sometimes because it's you, you just kind of you kind of it kind of makes you step back and blink, you know. But this is this is the stuff that is in, that is in our world today. The secular world gets it. The secular world understands it. That if we can take someone and help them understand forgiveness, the incredible benefits that it has for their lives. Huh. You know, it would be nice if we had a book that talked about that, right, as Christians? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a book that kind of listed those things out for us that said, you know what, if you forgive others, it, it really helps, you know? Wouldn't that be cool if we had that? That's what we're taught. And as Christians, when we say that we follow Jesus, what we're saying is this. I want life. Personally, I want life, and I want life to the fullest. And I believe in Jesus' teaching. As I read the Word of God, I believe in Jesus' teaching. And I believe that if I can follow Jesus' teachings, that I'm going to receive what He's promising. And that's what I'm looking for, is life. And I'm looking for life to the fullest. I want my life to mean something. I want my life to have meaning and significance and sustenance. I want, I want my life to, to, to matter. And I believe that when I read Jesus' teachings, that that's what's going to happen if I follow His teachings. The problem is a lot of times we take it like a buffet and we say, well, I don't know, I don't want that, but I'll take this one over here. You know what I mean saying? Forgiveness is absolutely critical to our well-being. But it's one of the hardest things we're ever going to do. Let's be honest. It's one of the hardest things we're ever called to do. Listen to what John says. Listen to what he says in John. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As we forgive, as we embrace Jesus' teachings, we begin to, we understand free. Here's the problem, guys. And we said, I've said this, I don't know how many times, but as humans, it's like, we, we it's, it's that one thing. Satan, like we talked about last week, is what? He's the father of all lies. The last thing that Satan wants you to do is to forgive someone. Because let me tell you something, you're going to be a heck of a lot more miserable to walk around with this toxic dump inside of you that's going to affect your emotions, it's going to affect every relationship that you have, it's going to affect every relationship that you're going to have. And it's so much better if he can get you and this and to to get you to understand, don't let go of that. They don't deserve to be forgiven, right? You're the one that determines whether they should be forgiven. And so some of us, we carry that deception around. We carry it around as Christ followers. And it destroys our lives. I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying this. You want to destroy your life, right there is one. to put, Write it down right now. Don't forgive. Write it down right now. Put that to the top. Don't forgive. That'll destroy your life quicker than anything else. And Jesus says this. You want life? Understand the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So... What do we do? What do we do when we've been hurt? What do we do when someone's hurt us? What do we do when we've been wronged? What do we do? We do what Jesus did. 
And, and again, it's very simple, but it's extremely profound. In Luke 6.28, it says this, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now there's one that is just a joy, right? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. That's what Luke 6.28 says. Luke 6.28. And then Matthew says on top of that, Matthew, and that next slide there, Matthew 5, verses 43-44, says this, You've heard it. You've heard it that it was said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That goes against every thread of human fiber that we have. Both of those. You know, the only... And we... I want to go back to the Psalms, what they call the imprecatory Psalms, where David prays about his enemies. You, you know those? Where David prays to his en- about his enemies and he says, God, would you take my enemies? Would you break their teeth on a rock? Would you make their, would you make them fatherless? Don't give them any, fa- don't give them any kids. Now I can get behind those prayers. Right? I can get behind those prayers. But when I'm called by Jesus to love my enemies, if that comes easy for you, please make a, please make an appointment with me because I need to talk. Because that does not come easy for me. And the last thing that I want to do is love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. Because I'm hurt. I'm hurt. But Jesus says, you want to have life. And you want to have life to the fullest. It starts with forgiveness. And it starts with loving your enemies. You've heard. Now get this. Jesus... Get this. If we can, let's, let's, let's take a snapshot of the culture in which Jesus grew up in, right? Let's take a snapshot, not just, remember he was kind of in the Roman culture at the time. Remember the Romans ruled everything. They had taken over the world at that point in time. And so they ruled everything. But even within the Roman culture, you had this little snippet of Jewish culture, right? And hundreds of years, thousands of years before, uh, God gave them the law, right? And so the law was to point to Jesus. The law was to, the, basically the law was given to say, there's no way that you can make it to heaven. You need this Jesus guy, right? But you had the law, and what did the law say to do with your enemies? It was a pretty fair law. Let's say it like that. It was a pretty fair law because it said, if this person plucks your eye out, you get to go to them and you get to take their eye, right? Now that's a cool, that's fair, right? You break my tooth, I'm breaking your tooth. Correct? No, we, seriously, we can get behind that, right? That's fair. The Romans then took that, and they took it up a notch. And they said, yeah, you take my eye, it's gonna come back tenfold on you. Okay? And this is the culture in which Jesus grew up in. This is the culture in which everybody's being exposed to. An eye for an eye, and then it's like, woo, okay, tenfold. Tenfold. Right? And yet Jesus hung on a cross and said what? Father, they don't know what they're doing. They're deceived. He was able to look at that big, huge snapshot of all things and He said, they don't know what's going on. They don't get what's going on. 
They don't get what's happening behind the scenes here. They don't get how the Satan is trying to destroy them. They don't get this battle that's taking place between us, between the good and evil. They don't get this. They're, they're, they're right smack in the middle. And his love just begin to pour out to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do. So guys, here it is for us. We want to, how do we do it when someone hurts us? That's where, man, we've got to reel it back, man. That's where I think we have to spend time in God's Word. That's where we just dwell in God's Word and say, God, God, if I'm ever going to love my enemy, if I'm ever going to pray for the person who persecuted me, I've got to have the strength that comes from heaven. Right? I've got to have your strength. That's what hap- that's what we have to do when we're hurt. That's what we have to do when someone hurts us so that we can release that. Because what happens is, a lot of times, what changes might not be the other person, but it's you. How many of you often attest to that in your spiritual walk? Where a lot of things, when you have it in your mind, the way it should play out, because it's like, well, this person over there needs to change. And the more time we spend with God, the more He takes us and turns us and changes us and makes us into the person that He wants us to be. And then we're so, I mean, it's so cathartic. It's so cathartic. The second one, the next one is this. Pray for restoration. I'm going to tell you something. You've heard it said before too, but that's when you know, that's when you know you've let something loose. When you can look to the other person, you can begin to pray for them. The person that wronged you, the person that hurt you, again, not the imprecatory psalm prayers, okay? But the prayers where you can actually think about the other person and say, you know what? They hurt me, but God's, you know what? God's in control. This is in God's hands. Let God have it. And so we begin to pray for restoration for that person. We begin to pray for possible restoration or reconciliation, but restoration between in, in, in the whole situation. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He picks up on this theme. And in Romans, he says... He says, um, he says, don't be revengeful. By the way, when we talk about the Romans, they also had gods of revenge, okay? Uh, idols that they worship of revenge. And so they were very, uh, they, they would have gotten this concept when Paul writes to these people and he says this, don't be revengeful. Don't follow that idol. Don't be revengeful. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. You're the only one, you know, and you've heard it before, you're the only one that you can change. You know, we want to change, you know, we want to focus on someone else. We want to work really hard at changing that other person. But essentially, the only person that we ever have control over, if we have control over that person, is ourselves. We're the only ones that can change, you know. And so when we lay ourselves out there to God and we say, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to follow these. That's when we're going to experience that sense of forgiveness or that sense of, 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 of release where we can let go. Listen to what Colossians, he writes in Colossians 3.13, he says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Guys, let's be honest. What's the one grievance that you would have where you'd say, I'm not so sure God can take this one? I mean, when we really think about the things that hurt us, and I'm not devaluing your hurt. I'm not minimizing them. I've got hurt too. But I'm asking you the question, what hurt would you say, mm, yeah, I don't know if the God's big enough to take that one. I, I probably need to manage this one. When you really take it and you really focus on it, 
What is that hurt? What is it? And Paul writes, bear with one another. Work at bearing with one another. Forgive grievances. Forgive. And in, Paul, and in, uh, in Matthew, this is where it becomes very critical. In Matthew 6, 14-15, Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. As the worship team comes, I just want to unpack that verse a little bit and get us to think about something. When you start thinking about your hurt, when you start thinking about the hurt you may have inside of you that can, that you know, you could say, well, this is one that I'm not so sure scriptures apply to. I just want to ask you to do this. Think about the offenses God has forgiven you of. Because that tends to put things back into perspective, right? When we think about what God has done for us, when we think about the, the, the grace and the mercy that God has showered on our lives, when we think about the grace and mercy that, that He has, um, that he has given he has given us things start to become a little bit more insignificant if we could use that if we could say that because god is such a rich god of uh, such a uh, an awesome god of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness so like i said as i'm closing i want to ask you to stand and let me close with a word of prayer but i, I get that this is one of the hardest things that we're going to struggle with as christians and like I said, if it's not, if you've, if you've got it figured out and mastered, please come and walk me through that process. Because I'm going to tell you something. This is one of the hardest things that I think I, I've ever had to deal with as a Christian. Is when someone hurts me to, to let it go. And to give it to God. And to forgive them. And to love them. Even if they don't ask for it. Even if they don't acknowledge it. Even if they just go their own way. To let it go. And to just say, God, this, this is yours. This is yours. And so I want you to stand with me. Let me close with a word of prayer. And then we're going to close with a couple songs. But let's just ask God to, to give us the strength. And I pray right now that you would just allow the, the Spirit of God to communicate with you. That our hearts would be open as, as His Spirit wants to minister to each and every one of us here this morning. Father, I, I give you thanks for your word. But man, this was a tough one. This is an absolutely tough one. I'm sure every single one of us sitting in this room, standing in this room right now, we could think of a few names and we could see their faces right now. And the last thing that we want to do is forgive them. The last thing we want to do is just to let it go and to love them and to pray for them. But Father, I pray that you would not let us, to, uh, that we would not succumb to the, to the deception and the lies of Satan. But Father, we would find life and we would find life to the fullest by embracing your, your way of living. And that we would connect ourselves so tightly to you, to the vine that, that just will allow that your, your life-giving blood flow through us and produce in us things that are the antithesis of unforgiveness. And so I pray this morning that your spirit would find freedom in this room. And I pray that we would respond the way you would want us to respond. And I pray and ask all this in the powerful name of, of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.